Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. This morning, we are going to uh, we're going to take a stab at uh, a th- an idea that I shared a couple of weeks ago in our devoted series, in uh, in the connection between the idea of glory the idea of glory according to the scripture, and the human vocation, the call of of us as people of God. Uh, As a matter of fact, the people that God created, every image bearer is designed this way, and we are supposed to be walking in a particular vocation, a distinctly human vocation, a call to be God's people, to be his image bearers, and reflecting that image into the world. That is a really important piece of what we are called to do. And so I'm going to look at this idea of connecting glory with this human vocation, with us living on mission uh, under the call of God, okay? And I know that that sounds very uh, ethereal or whatever right now, but I think it will make far more sense to you as we walk through this. One of the passages of Scripture that has always uh, caused question in my mind, I know that it's caused question in many people's minds, uh, because much of our discussion on soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, much of our discussion uh, on, on matters of man's uh, state before God is rooted in Romans chapter 3. And we, we know, I mean, show of hands, how many of you know we have all sinned? How many of you know that? How many of you are in denial? Somebody tell them they're a sinner. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, anyway, so we've all said, we kind of all know that. But there's a really important thing that happens in Romans 3.23 that has always caused me to ask a question. And I want to kind of share with you uh, my mental state and how I walk through things. Here's what Romans 3.23 says. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The question that, that seems to be a natural question, it's in your program today, but the question that seems a natural question is, is this, is Paul just being redundant here? Is Paul saying the same thing two different ways? Did Paul say, listen, I just want you guys to all know, all have sinned, uh, to put it in another way, a more spiritual way, that also means you fell short of the glory of God. Is that what Paul is getting at? I think the answer is No. And I think the answer is no when we understand the story of God, when we understand from Genesis to Revelation, when we understand the story of God and we understand deeply our call to be glory people, right? To be a people who don't fall short of the glory of God, but instead who reflect that glory into the world around us. So we're going to look at that in greater detail today, and we're going to ask that question, and we're hopefully going to answer that question. In Genesis 1, which is uh, as good a place to start as any, right, the very beginning, in Genesis 1, God makes humans in his image. Every one of us is made in the image of God. And then God gives us a task that is absolutely amazing if we'll stop and give thought to it. He gives us a call, and that call is to be sovereign over his world. Now, you look at that and say, Nathan, whoa, 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 be careful. Okay, for the past month in our devotion time in the morning, Mark and Barney and Sean and Jacob have all been going through this doctrine of sovereignty. And in no way am I asserting that God gave mankind some sort of rule and reign and then he stepped back as if he doesn't care what happens. No, God is super ruler. He is sovereign over all things. That will never change, amen? 
I mean, we need to find our hope in that truth that that will never change. God is sovereign. But God gave to humanity sovereign rule over his creation. The the catch was that we were supposed to do this with the image we bore. The catch was we were supposed to do it his way. Okay, that's the important connection to what we're called to do. So God gives humanity, these image-bearing creatures, sovereignty over his creation. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Here's Here's what God's word says. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them. Can you say that with me? Let them. Okay, this is really important. He did not make man to do this. Without woman, he made them to do this. And he made them to reflect his image, right? So, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That is the most important lesson you're going to learn uh, today is that you have rule and reign over spiders and snakes. So I'm just saying, crush them. Do whatever you want. You rule, okay? Verse 27, and please start crushing spiders on a more frequent basis, please. Okay, so God created man in his own image, right? And we look at that and we say, oh, man, that's mankind, right? And here's how we know it. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created, say it with me, church, them, okay? We are all image bearers. Can we all agree? We are all image bearers. And we have all been given this responsibility to rule, which is the understanding of sovereignty, We are, sovereignty would be, uh, God's sovereignty would be super rule. Our sovereignty would be under rule, okay? We are to rule his world the way he commands us to do it. So then verse 28 says this. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, and here's how we, uh, I love that we know that this is a them here, be fruitful and multiply. And I don't love that for the reason you're thinking in your little minds, right? Right. I, I love that because we actually can't do the job without a them, okay? This is just biologically impossible. We cannot do the job without a them, okay? And so we are called to be fruitful and multiply. Now, why were we to do that? To fill the earth. You're going to see in a second why we needed to fill the earth and subdue it. We are called to put it under God's image-bearing rule and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, the four principles that you're going to see inside of this, right, the four principles in 26 through 28 are, number one, that we were created as image-bearers. Awesome. We get it. Check the box. We are created as image bearers. Emphasis on we. We are. Number two, we were given rule. Now, it is also important for us to know that there is a distinction, and this is where the culture rails against the church and where some in the church are beginning to rail against the church. The rule between men and women is very different. The ultimate goal is the same. Rule and subdue, isn't it? But just because we have the same goal does not mean we have the same function inside of that rule, right? And I'm actually glad that that's the case. And let me just tell you why, because I don't have to have babies. (laughs) It's amazing. Okay. And I'm sorry, women. I'm sorry that you have to go through that, right? But it's amazing what you're able to create and what you're able to bring into the world, this multitude that helps us in 
in subduing. The funny thing is we all accept the different roles in childbearing, and yet we want to fight those different roles in leadership and all those other things, right? So we're created as image bearers. We were given rule, but we needed each other. This is a message for guys. Just so you know, you couldn't do it on your own. I heard a, <laughs> that was awesome. I heard a woman go, mm-hmm. Okay, that was, <laughs> you, you missed it over here. It was, it was awesome, mm-hmm. Okay, you couldn't do it on your own. The mistakes are two uh, opposite sides. One ditch is that men think they've got it all and they can do it all by themselves. God did not say man needs help and here's what help he needs, just having babies. That's not what the point was, Okay. We are supposed to rule together. The problem is we needed help in this. The opposite is not true as well, which is he needed my help, therefore I'll sit him down, put him in his place, and do the job. <laughs> Everybody loves that one. Anyway, okay, so we are created as image bearers. We were given rule. Number three, we were told to be fruitful and multiply. Why did we uh, get that command to be fruitful and multiply? Because we needed to fill the earth. Why did we need to fill the earth? Because it's going to take a full earth to subdue the earth, okay? One of the pictures that you need to see about the Genesis account is that God, in his super rule, in his sovereignty, could have made creation any way he wanted. Here's the way he could have done it. He could have said, let there be, everything appears, and him step back and say, it's perfect, it doesn't need you guys to mess with it. He could have done that, couldn't he have? He could have, but he didn't. Instead, he made a world, and then he said, I want you to go in and subdue it. What is the point of this? It means that the earth, humanity, or creation, was a project that God was creating for us to work on, and here's what he wanted us to do. He wanted us to reflect his glory. He wanted us to look more and more like him as, as we listened to him and we obeyed him at every turn. That was the call. That was what we were supposed to do. But Adam and Eve said no to that, didn't they? Right? They said, nah, we got it. We'll figure it out. We'll cut out the middleman. The middleman is God. He's not the middleman, guys. <laughs> He's king. He's Lord. And so we tried to cut him out and do it our own way. So the four principles that we saw in that are that we are created as image bearers. We were given rule. We were told to be fruitful and multiply. And then the fourth one, we were given everything we needed to accomplish the task. God said that every seed-bearing plant and every fruit-bearing tree was given for our good. Amen? It's really cool. But we do exactly what most of your two-year-olds do, right? We're given everything in the house set before us, and the thing we want is the thing we're told we can't have. Come on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We got everything. He literally gave us everything, guys. And then he goes, but just so you know, I don't want you messing with that tree right there because I'm the source of what is good and what is bad. What is, I am the one who will tell you the difference, okay? I'm the one who you need to trust. And we were like, oh, this is awesome. We got all this. I think I want that, right? That's what we do. We always want the thing we're not supposed to have. And so Adam and Eve go after something, even though they had everything that they need. The New Testament church finds itself in the same position that we have been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And we live our lives, sadly, in a state where we keep wanting things God doesn't want for us. Why? Why? Because we don't learn our lessons. That's the answer to that. So this kind of image-bearing rule under those four principles, this kind of image-bearing rule is vitally important. It is to be a God-reflecting rule. 
In other words, it's not to be a rule based on our own authority. How many of you know, we, it's a good thing if humans will rule the earth, but it is only a good thing if we'll rule it God's way. Right? That's the important piece of all of this. So we were image bearers reflecting his image into the world. One of the great examples of getting this wrong is found in Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5, verse 31, uh, it says this. It says, the priests ruled, same word, the priests of Israel. They were in high rebellion against God, getting ready to be sent into Babylonian captivity. And the priests ruled on their own authority. And it says after that, and the people loved it, but God hated it. Okay? They ruled on their own authority, and God hated it. The people loved it. This is, this is still true of what happens a lot of times today. We rule on our own authority. People love it. Guys, we can take God's word and we can manipulate it in just such a way as to make it sound more palatable. Like, hey, I got this new fi- newfangled Christianity. It's a Christianity that has no rules. Isn't that amazing? And what we're doing is we're ruling in our own way, and people love it. People are signing up for that kind of Christianity all day long. It's not Christianity. That's the problem. Can I get small in there? Okay. Not bad. I love it. Yeah. Am I begging you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Can I get an amen, Roger? I need those more readily available. Anyway, a right response to this God-given task is to do it his way, is to listen and obey. It's, it's to jump on board with what God has called us to do. It is not the right uh, way of approaching it to pound our chest and to lord it over anyone or anything. That's the problem we have. Lording it over anyone or anything is a distinctly non-Christ-like way of doing things. Okay, We saw it in creation. Why would the Lord of the universe give man a desire or a, a sovereignty to rule anything. What was he thinking? Huh. He is gracious. He is kind. He is compassionate. He could lord it over. He could make you do anything he wants. And he doesn't. Isn't it amazing? So he says we're to be the same way. In, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1. It says that we do not, Paul says, we do not lord it over your faith. But instead, we are co-workers for your joy. We are working with you for your joy. When it comes to faith, we're not supposed to, pastors especially, we're not supposed to lord it over you. Instead, we should be co-workers with you so that you can have joy in your life. Amen? We all want that. The same thing happens when it comes to our leadership with each other. James and John, apostles of Jesus, they were, they were talking to him one day and they said, Lord, we want to be at your right hand and your left. How many of you remember this story? We want to be at your right hand and we want to be at your left hand. We want to do this. And God says, well, Jesus says, well, first of all, that's my father's business. That's what he's going to do. Second of all, if that's the case, you're going to have to drink from my cup and you're going to have to bapti- be baptized in my baptism, which was the cross, okay, which was utter Uh, wrath of God being poured out on him. You're going to have to do this. But when his disciples found out that James and John asked the question, they got all miffed about it. And the reason they were mad is because James and John beat him to the punch, right? They wanted to be top dogs. And Jesus says this. He says, we don't lord it over each other like the Gentiles do. We don't do that. We serve by coming under each other. I I share this all the time. The Christian life is a race to the back of the line. It's not a race to cowardice. 
It's not a race to hold no standards. It's not a race to say, well, I won't tell you the truth. It's simply a race to say, I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to come behind you and I'm going to help you walk in it. That's the Christian life. It's a race to the back of the line. And so what we should do in leading is instead approach our task with a great deal of humility and a great deal of reverence. Remembering at all times, we have a chief shepherd, amen? All of us have a chief shepherd. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8. So we've seen the creation account. We've seen what we were called to do in the beginning. Let's move even further in the story of God and find out what David understood that we were supposed to be doing. Psalm chapter 8, starting at verse 1. I love how he begins and ends the psalm with the same line. It's an amazing thing. In in most... uh, In biblical studies, you would call this a chiastic structure. So there's a beginning and an end, and everything in between kind of moves to mirror each other as it goes out. I don't have time for all of that today. But, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What what do you call that? You call that worship, right? This is praise. So he starts with worship, starts with praise, and he says, You, God, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. The scripture tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen? I love that that's the case. He says, you have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. Do you know what that that passage actually communicates? It says that God is so going to deal with his enemies. God is so going to overcome those uh, those who are standing against him that he plans it, he plans the victory from a child's birth. I'm going to start here. I just want you to know that I'm sovereign, God says. And he starts from birth, and he raises them up to defeat his enemies. Nobody can do that but God alone, okay? So he brings them up, verse 3 and 4, 3 through 5. When I consider your heavens, David speaking, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, David says the most famous line. He says, what is man? What, what, what am I, okay? That humility is the right position. Now, David doesn't go on to say, what is man? Horrible, wretched, pitiful sinner, nothing, right? He doesn't do that, right? He just simply recognizes that God has chosen man for whatever reason to be image bearers. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So he says, what is man that you take thought of him? But you do, you do. And it's, it's astounding. So he says, and the son of man, that you care for him. And just so you know, that, word, that term son of man, although it does refer to Jesus, here it's referring to people. Just like in Ezekiel, it refers to Ezekiel. Just like in Daniel, it can refer to Daniel as well as to the coming Messiah. But look, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. Some translations say a little lower than the angels. He says, and you crown him with glory and majesty. Do you know what that glory and majesty is? You were made in the image of God. You were made unique. You were made, I'm not talking about America unique. I'm not talking about, oh, you're so special and your life can be all about what you want it to be and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that mankind, what separates us from everything else in creation is that we are image bearers. We are crowned with glory and majesty. 
Now look at what David goes on to say. He says, you make him to rule. This is David. Much later, after the creation account, over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What are we called to do, church? What were we made to do? Rule and reign. That's what God has told us to. However, we all know what happened in the story, right? If we rewind back to Genesis, we know what happened. We screwed this whole thing up. Yay for us, okay? Given this task, along with only one simple rule, don't do that, right? Trust God for what is right and wrong. Trust God for knowing what is good and evil. We chose to disobey. Just like the priests of Jeremiah's day, we abused our power. We decided to rule on our own authority. If it upset God, in the garden, if it upset God in Jeremiah's day, why do we think we're different? Why do we think that we have the right to do anything our way? And who cares what God thinks? Ah, we can't do that. And especially not the church of God. So like the priests of Jeremiah's day, we abused our power. We didn't reflect God into the world, but instead we reflected our own sinful hearts into this creation of God. God had a project for us to do, and we chose not to do it. Now, it's important to note, as we just uh, saw in Psalm 8, that we are still called for this purpose. Remember, David writes this a far distance from the creation account. And David acknowledges that's our job, right? You made us for this. Why? Why, Lord? Well, we'll find that out maybe in heaven someday. We'll find that out when we spend our time with our Creator but we were called to this very same thing. Something else to note is that when this task is done correctly, when this is done right, in other words, when people will, uh, will rule and reign, Christians will rule and reign as per God's uh, authority, as per God's way, what should the natural response be based on the psalm? Should be praise should be praised. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Just take a second to think about this. David marvels that God puts man over everything, and his response to it is, how majestic is your name? We don't often think that. Today we go, man in charge? This is awful. This is awful. What was God thinking? How many of you have ever thought that? What was God thinking? How many wives have ever thought that of your husband? <laughs> okay, anyway, so th the idea here, what was God thinking? Here's why you ask the question. You ask the question because most of what you see is the ruling and reigning of mankind not done God's way. Not done God's way. It's a pitiful excuse for what image bearers ought to be doing in our lives. So the rightful response to this should be praise, and it will be praise if we as Christians will get this right. In other words, God is glorified, and according, according to verse 5, we are crowned with glory, image bearers, when we operate in that image-bearing rule, okay? We have to operate. We are called to operate in something, but this shouldn't surprise any of us. Any father is actually glorified when his children walk in the purpose for which they are created. Amen? Tell you a story bragging on my girls for a little bit. Sarah, um, 
Uh, two stories. Uh, one, briefly, Sam, Sam was sick last night, and she was suffering from a low-grade fever, so 101 or something like this. Low-grade fever, and we knew last night the, the girls aren't coming to church, okay? And moms, I want you to know that my heart goes out to you because many moms would say that their church experience from the time of birth to uh, somewhere around... Uh, somewhere around middle school is, is a church experience where they come to church not to hear the sermon, <laughs> right? How many of you feel that way? You come to church, you don't hear the sermon, you're taking kids to the potty, you're doing all of these other things. I love you, I love you, I love you. You are doing something good, so keep, keep at it. So anyway, so Sam was told last night, hey, babe, we're, we're probably, you're probably not going to church uh, tomorrow, which melts my daughter's heart. I want my daughter's heart for church to be in every person's heart. She wants to be here. And she wants to be here for many reasons. But she loves the people she's around. She had a, she had a, uh, uh, she had a valentine she wanted to give Miss Sydney. But she couldn't make it this morning to give it to Sydney. So she was very disappointed. But she woke up this morning knowing she probably wasn't going to be there. And we hear a tap on the bathroom door this morning. And it's like 5.30, 5.45. Door open. Sam is fully dressed, ready to go. She's like, she's like, I, I, I want to go to church. And I'm like, what do you do with that, right? You tell him, go back to bed. Anyway, no, <laughs> that's, that's not. So it was really, really hard. That was a brag on, on the girls moment. But we're proud. We, glory is brought to us when our kids do what they're told, when they, when they listen and they obey and they do so in a very good way, right? So Sarah was at the grocery store the other day. And, uh, and she's, it was a Friday, I was working on the house, and she, was, she took the girls to give me some uh, alone time where I could make lots of noise and not freak anybody out. Anyway, so I'm working on the house, she goes to the grocery store, and she, she comes home to me, and she comes home, and Sam walks through the door with this bag of chocolate donuts, and she's flaunting her chocolate donuts, and I'm like, what's, what's the story? What's the deal? And she goes, these are my donuts. And I'm like, <laughs> no. Anyway, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> unless you have money that I don't know about, those are my donuts. Anyway, so, so she walks in. These are my donuts. They said, why are they your donuts, babe? And she goes, mama said that we were very good today. And she wanted to reward us for that. And I said, awesome. So Sarah comes following in. And right after that situation, Sarah comes in and she goes, she goes seven people, seven people as I'm walking through the store today go, make some comment about, wow, these are really well-behaved kids. That's our goal, right? That, now, please hear me. There are days when they're not, okay? <laughs> I, I am not, I didn't tell you that to say I'm a better parent than you are because I'm not, right? I'm, I desire things. I have a high standard for my girls. But when they do that, what happens? What happens? We well up with a pride inside of our hearts because we go, wow, this is the right thing. This is, this is the right thing. The same thing is supposed to happen to our Father's heart when we're walking in His glory. Amen? We're supposed to bring glory to Him when we walk in this. N.T. Wright in his book, After You Believe, says this, a powerful line. He says, glory is a standard biblical way of referring to the wise rule of human beings. It's a standard biblical way of referring to the wise rule of human beings. It is, in fact, and here's where we need to take this turn, it is, in fact, the glory of God, the effective rank and status which shows that humans are indeed God reflectors. What is the glory of God? It is the rank that you hold. 
It is the standard that you are holding, and you are therefore image bearers in this. So N.T. Wright goes on, and he says, It shows that humans are indeed the God-reflectors, the ones through whom the loving, wise sovereignty of the Creator God is brought into powerful, life-giving presence within creation. And here's where Romans 3.23 comes back in. So Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we ask the question, we say, are you just, are you just being redundant here, Paul? Are you just saying the same thing over and over again? But I'm telling you, he's not. And the reason why I'm telling you he's not is because he has told us not to sin. That is, stop doing the thou shalt nots. But you have to make sure that you do the thou shalts. There are so many people in the Christian life, so many churches that are marked by this identity. That what our purpose is in this life is simply for us to check the boxes on the thou shalt nots that we got right today. So what is the Christian life all about? Well, I didn't murder anybody today. Awesome. I didn't lie to anybody today. Awesome. I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. That's what we've made the Christian life about. But do you remember what Genesis said the life of God's created image bearers was to be? He didn't say, I've created you in my image. Now make sure you spend all your days just not doing the wrong things. It's not what he called us to do. He said, I've made you as image bearers and here's what I want you to do. I want you to rule and reign. By the way, in your ruling and reigning, I want you to trust me for what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. I want you to rule and reign, but I want you to come to me. I want you to seek out my heart, and and I'll tell you what is good. I'll tell you if that's bad. I'm going to tell you all these things. What were we called to do? Rule and reign. What were we commanded not to do? Not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we've gotten it completely backward in the Christian church today. And so we come into church week after week after week after week. We read the Bible day after day after day after day. And all we do is create a bigger and bigger list of the things we shouldn't do. You shouldn't do those things. (laughs) You shouldn't. I'm never going to lift my foot off the gas pedal of holiness. I'm never going to do it. You're going to have to jump on the brake pedal and then God will smite you. But I'm not lifting my foot off the gas pedal of holiness. You are to walk in a pure and holy and righteous life. You're to do that in view of mercy. Powerful stuff. But we're also called to something. To rule and to reign inside of this Christian life. Many of us have gotten this wrong. This is why 1 Corinthians and the church has gotten it wrong for so long. It's disturbing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Apostle Paul says, Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. You know what is included in your ruling and reigning? Everything you do. Everything you do. The way you talk to people. The way you mistreat them. It reflects on glory. Amen? It reflects on God's glory because in in many ways what we're doing is we're robbing him of glory. 
The word of God tells us that that, uh, God was to be glorified and that the people of Israel didn't live up to that. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scripture would continually go on this kind of tirade, this kind of teaching that says, in what we do as Christians, when we don't live according to God's glory, we blaspheme his name among the Gentiles, the unbelieving world. Because we're not on mission. Because we're not doing what we're called to do. Okay? So I want to set you free from something. And that is, if your Christian life is marked primarily by, I've checked off all the boxes of the things that I wasn't supposed to do, you're free from this kind of Christian life. You should not do those things. But the purpose of the Christian life, the the mission of image bearers, was not just to go and say, I didn't eat from that tree today, God. Ah, cool. I didn't eat from that tree today, God. Hey, it's Tuesday. I still didn't eat from that tree today, God. That's not the point. See, if we really understand the parable of the talents, how many of you are familiar with the parable of the talents? If we really understand the parable of the talents, we will understand it's communicating this exact idea. One person was given one talent. One person was given one talent by his master. Another two and another five. And and those numbers vary from gospels. That's not the point. The point of a parable is to teach a lesson. And so someone, someone was given one, someone was given two, and someone was given five. The man who was given five went and doubled it. He had ten. The man who had two went and doubled it, and he got four. The man who had one buried it in the ground, right? The master comes back from this long journey that he's on. He comes back and he says, what have you done with what I gave you? To whom much is given, much is expected. So he says, what have you done with what I've given you? The one who had five doubled it and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, what was his mission? Just hold on to the five you got. Just don't waste the five you've got. No, that's what we've made the Christian life about. That's nonsense. His his goal according to the master's heart, was to double it, wasn't it? He was to double it. So what did he do with it? He doubled it. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The man who had two doubled it to four. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who had one, notice this, he didn't lose it. He just didn't do anything with it. He just spent his entire life protecting it. And saying, I'm just not gonna, I've just got to make sure I don't lose it. So he buries it in the ground. What does the master say? Get away from me, wicked servant. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's outer darkness. Why? Why? Because that servant believed his master to be the wrong sort of master. I knew how harsh you were. I knew what kind of a master you were. So I buried this in the ground. He was not punished because he lost something. He was punished because he was called to something and did nothing. And listen to me clearly, church. We are called to rule and to reign. And so far, we're struggling with this. So far, we're struggling with this. I'm going to get practical here in just a second with how we do this. But this is what we're called to do. We are called, as 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 uh, communicate, to move from glory to glory, right? From the glory of image bearers to the glory of image bearers who do what God says. And we do that through the life-giving work of Jesus Christ. The Bible opened, as we saw, with God assigning a particular vocation to human beings, didn't it? Call was to rule. And they should look after God's creation. They should make it fruitful. They should make it abundant. Abundant. 
the Bible closes with a scene in which uh, this has at last come about, only so much more. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. And I want to I want to speak a little bit again about that that um, approach to piety. But here's here's what I want to say while you're turning. We are to forget, we are to walk away from a, a wishy-washy piety that speaks of heaven simply as a place that we, uh, we are going to rest and adore God, playing uh, harps on clouds with halos. It's not in the Bible. It never was. Okay, This is Greek mythology that has in, infiltrated the church. Put to one side, put that to one side, uh, each of us are called to rule and reign. Uh, I would also argue with something that would be near and dear to some people's hearts. Uh, For example, in the Westminster Confession, it says this. It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that's true in part. It's true in part. The statement is true, but it's not the full truth. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be new vocations and new tasks and ultimate fulfillment of those God-given things for us to do. Once we glimpse this, we will be in a position to see how the New Testament's vision of Christian behavior has to do not with just struggling to, to keep pious or, or something like this or to keep God glorified in our, in our church going, but to have God glorified in our doing, our living, our everyday life. It's not just the chief end of man to bring glory to God in a religious sense. It's to bring glory to God in every sense. The chief end is for us to do what we were called to do. So, Revelation chapter 22. Look at this. It's such a powerful thing. Revelation 22, starting at verse 3. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor of the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will illumine them. And look at what we're called to do. And they, that's us, church, and they will reign forever and ever. The call for the the image-bearing creation of God was to rule and to reign. That rule and reign was to be done God's way. Where we have made the mess of this is we keep doing it our way. Or we've made the Christian life all about checking off the boxes of what we don't do. Great. You don't need to do those things. But you need to get on with the task that you've been called to do. Amen? Look, we've got, we've got Genesis. We've got Psalm 8. We've got this passage in Romans 3. And then we've got Revelation. And, and the thought that comes to everybody's mind is, Sure, Nathan, that all sounds great. That's in the great by and by. What about now? What about now? Romans 5 tells us about now. Put that up on the screen, guys. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will, and Paul is talking about now, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us of what the future is, a a godly reign of his creation, doing what he set us out to do in the garden to begin with. The garden sets us out on the task, we're to rule and to reign. And Paul says in Romans 5, what Jesus came to do was to set us back on the task, to do it right. We're to rule and to reign. Now, here's 
Here's how we wrap all of this stuff up. We wrap all of this stuff up by asking the tough question. So what does it mean? What's it mean to rule and reign? And this is revolutionary, so hear me out. And if you're a note taker, you want to write down this one line of all the lines. Okay? It's amazing. It's amazing. We need to listen to what Jesus says and do it. What? Wait a second. That's ridiculous. That's too simple. Right. Tell me how simple it is when you start doing it. I love it. Somebody goes, yeah. We need to listen to what Jesus says. We need to listen to all of God's word. Why? What do we know from God's word? It is God-breathed. I cannot stand this church. When people in the Christian church divorce the Holy Spirit of God from the word he inspired. No, we do not believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. But we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who inspired Holy Scripture. (laughs) We can have it both ways. It's absolutely amazing. Okay? And to dog it and to throw it out is for you to really cut your nose off despite your face. So God's word says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and training and righteousness. To fully equip the man of God so that we can be useful. Useful for what? Ruling and reigning. That's what we've been called to do. What an amazing picture that we have set before us. So the answer to this longing question of how do we rule and reign is we got to listen to what Jesus says and we got to do it, right? Now here's where it gets hard. Husbands. That means lead your household and stop playing games with it. Uh-oh, Nathan's on a soapbox again. No. Listen to what Jesus says and do it. It's really easy. What does it mean? It means husbands, love your wives. That's what scripture says. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you struggle to love? How many of you struggle to love? You're like, some days it's not easy. Some days it's hard. Guess what? Nobody said when you came to faith in Jesus, you were a perfect person. It's the same way with the garden. The the story began in the garden, guys. How do I know that being made in the image of God is not a distinctly you are holy and can never mess up kind of thing? Because Adam and Eve messed up. They were perfect and they sinned. Their job, their goal, God's goal with them was to train them in creation through, uh, through tending and ruling and reigning, through, through caring for his world. But they short-circuited that all the way in the beginning. We do it all the time when we don't do what God says. So God says, here's what you do, husbands. You should love your, love your wives. Wives, do you know what the Bible says? It's really unique that it says this, too. It's really unique because although there were about three hands that went up for men, just means that they might be lying. Um, but uh, so we'll work on that in a second. But just because there were only three hands that go up for men, there ought to be a lot more that go up for this one. What does God say in Scripture for wives to do to their husband? We'll love them in return. Nope. Respect them. Honor them. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Obey. Oh, crap. Anyway, I'm going I'm to preach this way just so you guys can not look at me. Okay. Here, here's, I'm, not, I'm not, remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon? None of us have the right to lord it over anybody. If your form of loving your wife or your form of respecting your husband includes lording it over them, you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. Okay? 
You're, you're not getting it. But we're called to this. What are parents supposed to do? Train up their children in the way they should go, and in the end, they won't depart. It doesn't mean that if you uh, send your kid to church on Sunday, every Sunday, for the, uh, for the entire span of their childhood, which is undefinable anyway, that they will someday come to saving faith in Jesus Christ or that they will believe. It means what the Proverbs often mean, and that is, if you do this, what is likely the case is that your kids will follow in your footsteps. That's why the promise is given in, in the beginning, the first command with a promise. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, and, and you will live a long life. You want to you know why that's true? It doesn't mean that, uh, that there has never been a child who obeys their parents that died young. That happens actually all the time. It means this, children, obey your parents. If they tell you not to run around in the street, don't do it. And guess what? It'll probably go well with you because you won't die. Right? This is the point of the Proverbs. This is wisdom. This is what is being communicated here. These are not absolute hard, fast kinds of promises the way people think they are. But instead, they are still promises. You should do that. Guess what? We're to rule and to reign. Do you know how much better the world would look if we actually would do what God says? It would be very different. But where does it start? And this is where people are confused. It starts at home. It starts in the family. You begin to rule and reign. How do I know that? It started with a husband and a wife in the garden. This is what God's plan was. Here's the husband. He needs help. Here's the wife. Go rule and reign. Go do what you're called to do. And yet they couldn't do it. Guys, the, the revolutionary truth of the Bible is that we should listen to what Jesus says and we should do it. But I'm telling you right now, the great tension that's in the church is not anything but us really agreeing on what God has said to do. That's our great tension. I disagree. I don't think God said that. Well, here's the passage where he says it. Well, it must mean something different. That's our world today. We twist it. We manipulate it. We move God's word anyway and every way to say what we want it to say. We have a responsibility to rule and to reign. So in the coming year, what my objective is, is to keep in line with what we did in our previous series. And that is to learn what it means to rule and reign by what? A continual devotion to the apostles' teaching. A continual devotion to faith. Continual to, uh, devotion to fellowship, practice. Which includes breaking bread. It includes prayer. It includes uh, studying together, sharpening each other, molding each other, shaping each other for the commission that God has given us. Your Christian life cannot be marked any longer by, I keep the rules really well. Keep the rules, please. But your Christian life has to be marked by, what are you called to? So I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to open your scriptures. I want to challenge you to search the answer to this until you're satisfied, until you find the answer for what it is that you as a man, you as a woman, you as a husband, you as a wife, you as a child, you as a person are supposed to do because the Bible speaks to all of it. The Bible speaks to all of it. You and I are called to something. So Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's what he's saying. All have in fact missed the mark. The problem is, all also don't do what God told them to do. They don't reign the way he's called them to reign. And you're falling short of the image-bearing character you were made with. The very image that you're supposed to shine into the world. 
So we need to get this right, right? We need to get back on this task. We need to learn how it works. And we're going to learn that from God's Word. We're going to learn that from each other. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.